Tomorrow is Christmas Day. Children are looking forward to this day months beforehand, as some adults are too, and anticipating the gifts that they're going to receive and just the excitement of the season. The stores decorate, you know, right around October. And, um, and Christmas movies come on to TV. You know, you got the old ones and the new ones. And there are traditions that every family practices. And, and, and it's just a great time of year to carry on those traditions and to do all those things that we normally do at Christmas time. And there are many holidays that we have throughout the year. There are some holidays that we celebrate and others that just kind of pass us by as they go. But most of our national holidays celebrate people or groups of people. Martin Luther King or President's Day, even Veterans Day and Memorial Day are celebrating people, groups of people that have served the country. And uh, there are very few holidays that actually focus on God. You know, we have Independence Day that focuses on an event. And, you know, while that's great that we celebrate those things, how many holidays do we actually celebrate God? Well, we have Easter, but Easter isn't a national holiday. It's a Christian holiday that Christians celebrate, but it doesn't shut down anything because it's basically not a national holiday. And it's on Sunday every year. So um, the holiday that we're used to celebrating, giving thanks, is Thanksgiving. And that's a holiday that we celebrate. We give thanks to God. It's been celebrated nationally since 1789. And that's when President Abraham Lincoln signed a proclamation uh, and a national day, and I quote, this is what he said, thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. That's awesome. That's the way it should be. And we seem to have gotten away from national holidays and their meaning, and we now just focus on a very generic meaning to these different holidays. The definitive Christian national holiday for the United States is Christmas. While some people don't celebrate Christmas, 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. And this is um, in a Pew Research poll that came out um, just a few years ago. 90% of people um, celebrate Christmas. They don't all celebrate it the same way, though. Christmas means something different for us than many other people that are celebrating Christmas out there right now. An interesting statistic in that poll was that 73% of that 90% believe in the virgin birth. So that's surprising to me, that that many people believe in the virgin birth. You want something that's going to blow your way here? I was born and raised Catholic. 26% of Catholics believe in the virgin birth. 26%. And so that's kind of surprising to me. But there are many other people that don't believe in the virgin birth. They're just celebrating Christmas because it's a great way to um, get gifts. 
Okay, it's a good way to give gifts too, but um, even with those figures, it's sad to say that most children have no idea what Christmas is really all about. And they're celebrating a holiday um, more than they're celebrating who the holiday is about. Christmas has become more about Santa Claus than it has about Jesus Christ. It's more about parents uh, or about presents that we receive from each other um, than the greatest gift of all that was given to us by our Lord and Savior. The plan was put into action long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And sometimes we're kind of... um, cloudy about that. We recognize Jesus as being here on earth when he was born. He was born as a little baby, and then, you know, he became a man, and then he had his ministry, and that's how we recognize Jesus. But that's not what we're told in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we're told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. We're talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. He is the word, and he was in the beginning with God. So it wasn't that God waited to bring him into existence When he was born as a child, he had always existed, except he didn't have a human form until he was born as a child. So he, Jesus, he was involved in the creation of all things. He was directly involved in everything. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made a bad decision. They were given one rule. And they broke it. I mean, really? You had one rule. And you couldn't keep the one rule. Don't eat of that one particular tree. And they did. And they changed the world forever. And even today, now, many of you, this is going to be one of those moments where I'm going to throw something at you and you're going to remember it for the rest of your life. Because many of you have iPhones, and you have the little apple on it with a little bite out of it, okay? All right, and that little insignia is on your computers and on your phones and so on and so forth. Every time you pick it up, remember, remember, okay? I, I, it's, that's a great reminder to you of why we're in the state we're in today, Okay? I thank Apple for doing that, you know, because now we have a great insignia, and every time you look at it now, you're going to say, oh, that Pastor Rick ruined it for me. I have to go buy a Samsung now. It wasn't supposed to be this way, but sin entered into the world, and because of sin, we need to be saved. That was the plan from God all along. He already had this all planned out. It was planned out before Adam and Eve were in the garden, before the earth was formed. Where would that Savior come from, though? 
Well, in Genesis chapter 12, God talks to Abraham and he tells him where the Savior is going to come from. And then Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, he reminds us of what took place there. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So Paul gives us the details. God tells Abraham, your seed is going to be the Savior. He is Christ. Paul lets us know that's what we needed to hear. That's who we need to pay attention to, Jesus Christ, the Savior. God promised Abraham that his seed would be the Savior all the way back in Genesis 12. Now, it was planned before then. He just let Abraham in on the plan in Genesis 12. The promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7.14 tells the world what to expect. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God provided mankind a sign. The impossible would take place. It's impossible for a virgin to give birth, but God was going to do the impossible through a girl named Mary. We know the account of the virgin birth, and we celebrate his birth every year. But do we believe it? Do we believe in our hearts that all of this took place? Or is it just a nice story that we look to every year to give us something to celebrate? You see, I believe it's important for us to recognize the virgin birth. He was born of a virgin because if he was born normally with a human father, then he would have the sinful blood that was passed down from generation to generation. But you see, when you're not born of human blood, then you have pure blood because the blood was from God. See, a woman's blood, a mother's blood, doesn't mix with the baby's blood. They're mutually exclusive within the mother. And that's how come the child doesn't necessarily have the sin carried down because the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is a Levitical term, but it's used so we understand that sacrifices had to be made. But the sacrifice of an animal isn't enough to resolve our sin, to absolve us of our sin. It had to be from someone that would be able to completely wipe out our sin. And it had to be pure blood, perfect blood, sinless blood. And that's who Jesus is. He came pure and without sin. Even those who were alive at the time had a hard time believing in the virgin birth. You know, it wasn't something that happened on a weekly basis. And, you know, how is anyone really going to know? So it was hard for them to identify. But see, if that was the only identifier of who Jesus was, then it would be hard to believe. But Jesus fulfilled 
over 300 messianic prophecies. And he did it without trying. It was just part of what God had planned and what God foresaw. And then he told the prophets so that we would have this information today. The rabbis had many reasons to doubt that Jesus was the Messiah because it didn't fit their plan. Everything didn't work according to the way they expected things to happen. One of the major reasons was because there was a curse on the line of David. In verse 30 of Jeremiah chapter 22, God says none of Jeconiah's or Coniah, depending on which version you have, descendants will sit on the throne of David. And it says, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Now he had children, but it means that his children were going to amount to nothing. There wasn't going to be any royal line carried through his children. Count his children as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So who was in the line of David was then taken out of the line of David by this curse that was given by God. So the rabbis believed that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah because if you look at Joseph's genealogy, Joseph came through the line of Jeconiah. And so there was no way that you know, he could have been the Messiah. There was a curse on that line. There's a problem. Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph. He was the son of God. And so he wasn't part of that line except for being in that line as the earthly king, okay, he, he had that going for him as far as being in part of Joseph's line. But see, he didn't have to be um, part of Joseph's line because Mary's line was also in the line of David. And she also had the ability to give him the throne because of where she came. And she was in the line of David through Nathan, not through Jeconiah. Nathan was David's other son that was, um, that was named for Nathan the prophet. And so she was part of that line. And she was completely good to go. Jesus was completely good to go because of that. He was completely qualified to serve as the Messiah. But the rabbis back then didn't hear it. They didn't want to know. Um, they had a vision of who the Messiah was going to be, how he was going to come in and rule and reign. He was going to take the scepter of Judah and he was going to wipe out the enemies of God on the earth and he was going to establish his throne. He's still going to. It's just that they were a little off in their timing. So, Jesus was legally qualified as the adopted son of 
Um, Joseph, he was also qualified as the biological ancestor of David through the line of Mary. That's a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's a God incidence. So the promise of the Messiah was given in Genesis and also in Isaiah 7 with the virgin birth. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. In, in chapter 9, he prophesies more about the birth of the Messiah where he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." The Son of God, the Messiah, would come into the world as every other human being, born of a mother. His government would bring peace, and there would be no end to the peace that he brings. That's how we know that his government hasn't been established yet. Because, you know, the only time that there's peace is when I'm asleep. And even that isn't very peaceful. But there's... The whole world right now is reeling. It's, it's reeling as a woman that's in labor. And we're seeing the whole world turning upside down right now. And that's not unexpected. We, we shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't say, oh my goodness, look what's going on in the world. You know? Anyone can become president. Any, anything can happen now at this point. You know? And we are so locked up with what is going on in the world as if it were out of God's control. As if God didn't know these things were happening. As if God doesn't know the battles, the wars that are going to be fought, the missiles that are going to be launched. God knows all of it. It doesn't matter who's in the Oval Office. It doesn't matter who's elected to our local governments. It, none of that matters. What matters is that we're focused and our hearts are focused on what God tells us to be focused on. It doesn't matter that 90% of the world doesn't agree with what we believe. That's not important. The, the road to destruction is broad. It's a highway to destruction. It, but the road is narrow, and the gate's small getting into the road that goes into heaven. And there are few that find it. And, and that's what we have to expect. You know, we, we shouldn't expect the whole world just to agree with everything that we say because it makes so much sense. Because nothing in the world makes sense. I watch the news and I think, they don't see what I see? I'm just, I'm just a, a silly pastor. And they don't hear and see what I'm seeing on the news? But that's because they're deceived by the enemy. And they're misguided. Their hopes are placed in this world and in people and their hope isn't in the one that can change the world, that can heal our land, that can fix everything. It's going to come. But first Jesus has to come and defeat the enemy. You see, and he did 2,000 years ago. 
while we all think, okay, he went to the cross and he's going to come again. But going to the cross wasn't just a transition. It was a victory. It was the victory that was necessary so that we could get to the end game. So that we could enter into heaven. Without that, we couldn't get there. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld, John says, because he came in flesh and dwelt among us. He knew, they knew, John knew, that he was the Messiah. Not just because of the works that he did, but because they met him face to face and they interacted with him face to face and they knew that he was the one they were waiting on. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those that see and believe, but even more blessed are those that have not seen and will not see but believe. That's us. We're even more blessed because it's not by seeing that we have faith in him, it's through believing that we have faith in him, that our lives are connected to him, and he lives his life out through us. And people know what we believe because they see it. They see it lived out in us. Now, sometimes it's not so clear, but then sometimes it's perfectly clear when we are used as a conduit by God to send a message to people around us, it might not even be a time where we're actually speaking the word of God, but we're just sharing his love. Because that's what he came to do. He came to love. He came to love all of us and the whole world, regardless of whether or not they believe in him. So, Jesus was with God, he created all things, and then he left the kingdom of heaven to subject himself to his own creation. He came here to submit himself to mankind. I, if I created mankind, I wouldn't have done that. I would have said, let's wipe them out and start over again. I'll, I'll try making better next time. But see, God didn't, do that because he wanted free will loving people to love him he wanted to give see he has angels that worship him that you know that are there honoring him and doing his work but he wanted free will people to do it us he wanted people that just lovingly you know isn't that what we want ourselves we don't want to force people to love us. You know, if we give someone enough money, maybe they'll love us. Or if we give them enough gifts, you know, maybe they'll love us. You know, and that's not what we're really looking for. We want true love. And and true love is found in Jesus Christ. That's what true love is for everyone, no matter who we are. 
verse 14 of the Gospel of John confirms that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 9-6. Jesus was born exactly where he was supposed to be born, when he was supposed to be born, how he was supposed to be born, and Scripture was fulfilled because that's the way God planned it. So it wasn't that anything caught God by surprise. It wasn't that Joseph and Mary got there to the inn and they said, oh, we have no room. And it's like God said, oh, no, now what do I do? You know, God already had that planned. And he told us that that was his plan. There are many prophecies fulfilled. Like I said, over 300 Old Testament messianic prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Here he was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem from the line of David. Just those three things are just insurmountable. The, 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 the percentage of possibility is just not even realistic that this could possibly happen and him not being. But then 300 prophecies, it's just not even possible. But it is for God. You see, God isn't waiting for the next thing to happen. He's already there. And he's already at the end. That's how we have the book of Revelation because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He knows the whole story from beginning to end. He knows our whole life from the moment we breathed our first breath to the day that we're going to breathe our last here on earth. He knows every detail. So how come we go to a doctor or someone else or a friend and ask for advice and then we'll take their advice and then find out, wow, that wasn't really good advice. It didn't work out the way I thought it would. But God already knows. And we struggle with going to him and asking him what we should do and what the next step should be. He's the one that's going to tell us, and he will never tell us to step in the wrong direction, ever. He'll always give us the right advice. So the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 6 tells us Jesus was born of a virgin, and he will assume the lordship of the government. In Isaiah 9, 7, it follows up with what we can expect from his rule. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's going to happen. He's going to make this happen. So this is the prophecy that we're really waiting to see fulfilled. Everything is going to be reset and everything is going to be established in perfection. And Jesus is going to rule and reign on the throne. I can believe this, I believe this is going to happen at any time. Uh, well, there's going to be a seven-year period where things are going to be messed up. But after that, we'll have a thousand years of this rule. And then after that, we'll have eternity of this rule completely. Now, that's not because I watched a movie that told me this. There are some wonderful movies out there that probably have 60% of what they're putting in there wrong because 
I believe that we can only make a movie based on what we know today and based on what you know, our imaginations can imagine. But our imaginations cannot imagine what God has in store for us. We can't even imagine. We can't fathom it. Because the stuff that is going to happen in the future is going to be so much better than anything we can imagine. It's, you know, food is going to taste better. Food will, will taste so much better. And, all right, I'm not going to go there. But, but you know where I'm going, right? I mean, everything will be better. Will we even need food? Yes, we're going to need food. I, I just got to have something to do. Uh, you know. No, we're, we're, we probably won't, but everything will be for our pleasure, will be for our enjoyment. I believe that we'll all be able to sing with beautiful voices. Is that, you know? I know some of you are saying, thank God. Thank God. That pastor is singing a little loud back there again. Okay. He thinks he's singing. It's, it's more like moaning. There's no reason that we should be caught off guard like the rabbis did. 2,000 years ago. You see, they had the scriptures. They knew the scriptures were perfect. They can quote the scriptures left and right. But they were out of touch with what the scriptures were really saying. They didn't know what they really meant. And so when the events that God had planned started taking place right in front of their very eyes, they couldn't see it. Because their mind had already implanted what they expected to see. And when it didn't go the way they expected to see it, they became blind. And our world is that way today. There are many people in the world that think, you know, being a good person, that's how you get to heaven, by being a good person. And I know all of you are wonderful people, but none of us are getting to heaven without Jesus Christ. There's just no way. You see, he created everything, so he gets to make the rules. And the one rule that we need to pay attention to is that you have to be saved to enter into the kingdom of God. He told us. So who are we to argue? But the world thinks that there are better ways, there are other ways, and they're deceived, just like the rabbis back to, I mean, I'm sure they had good intentions, but they were caught up in legalism. They were caught up in what they thought needed to happen. And we do the same thing here in our own world. Even as Christians, we get caught up in what we expect to happen, how we expect things to go. You know, hey, this, everything would be so much better if we just did this. Or everything would, you know, um, that's how come there are so many churches out there because every church has an idea of what they think the most important thing is. I believe the most important thing is the Word of God. And so I'm not going to add to it or take away from it because I don't want my name taken out of the book of life. And I am just going to stick with what the Lord tells me through his word.
Now, he can blow me away with other things that his Holy Spirit may speak to us and lead us and guide us, but I know it's always going to be in line with his word. There will never be a time where he will contradict himself. So we can stay focused on that and we can appreciate that as we celebrate Christmas. We can remember that he had the plan from the beginning. It wasn't something that just came up and it's not changing. His plan is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not going to change. He didn't suddenly say, hey, I'm going to do a new thing. Yeah, he did the new thing. He, the new thing was Jesus Christ. But he didn't say, I'm going to start something different from... No, he had that plan from the beginning. It wasn't a new thing to him. It was a new thing to us. But we need to stay focused on what he has said will take place in the future. Now we have the full gospel. We know from the beginning to the end. We have all the information we need. And so this is the good news that we have. We can trust the good news that we're told by Isaiah. Jesus' government will not end. When he takes the throne, it's not going to end ever. There won't be another battle. There won't be another war. There won't be any missiles. There won't be anything happening after that. It's all going to be good. Better than good. It's going to be great. I, I like good, but I like great better. It's going to be great. Even greater than I can imagine. Wouldn't it be great to live in a government like that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've always thought that was an unusual that we give gifts to each other at Christmas time. I, I, I always thought, you know, why do we give gifts to each other? And, you know, that's something that humans do. I, I kind of like it. <laughs> I liked it better when I was a, a child because I didn't have to give as many. But... Um, I don't mind giving gifts because I believe that as we give gifts, we're also teaching ourselves about what gift giving is. And when we give from the heart, we can experience a little of what God has done through his son Jesus Christ in giving. And sometimes we don't have that intention. We just give and then we see the fruit of giving after. And, and that's a huge blessing to me, to being able to do that, to give and then seeing the fruit come out of that giving. And for all of us that has experienced giving, I mean, I like receiving too, but for all of us that has experienced giving, know that it truly is more blessed to give than receive. And when we receive the gift of Jesus Christ, we always feel like we have to give back. You can't give back anything when you're given a gift. You see, if you give someone a gift and then someone tries to give you something back to pay off that gift, to cover that gift, it just take, took away the meaning of the gift, doesn't it? So as we live our lives, we're not doing things for God 
giving back to him, repaying him for his gift. We can't do it. And we should never consider that either. We don't go to church because we're paying God back. We're going to church to receive all of the gift. You see, we come to church, we come to feed on the word of God to receive everything that he wants to give us. You know, and that's why we're here today. We're here to celebrate Jesus, but at the same time, we're here to receive the full gift. So we need to stay focused on that during this season. We know that the priceless gift that was given to Cheryl and I are you guys, our family. This is the greatest gift that we could receive as a body of believers, having friends, having loved ones here together celebrating our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all family. We're all family. So, you know, if, if you don't get a gift from me, it's because I can't afford to give that many gifts, you know, because we have a big family, you know. But... I know that the greatest gift that we've been given from Jesus Christ is able to be shared between each of us by the love that we have one for another. That's the greatest gift that we have. That's the greatest gift that we can share. So as we celebrate tomorrow, let's try to remember not only the gift of the birth of Jesus, but what that gift promises to us. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. Every moment that we spend in eternity will remind us of what he has done for us. And when we read in Revelation, you know, how they bow down and worship him, we're going to know why. We're going to be part of that because we're going to know that it was something much greater than we could even imagine here on earth. Tonight, we celebrate the rest of the story. We're going to celebrate the rest of the virgin birth. Tonight, that's going to be what our service is about. But today, our service was about everything leading up to his coming. Everything that brought us to the point of believing what we believe today. It's because he made it all possible. He died for all of us, and we look back in retrospect And we can say, oh yeah, that's what God has done for us. They didn't know that's what was happening for them when it was taking place right before their very eyes. So I'm kind of glad we live in our day and age now where we're watching the very end of the story being played out. Not only that, but we have retrospect that we can look back and we can see how the whole story laid up to that. And not only that, we have air conditioning. (laughs) So look at all the wonderful blessings that we have that they didn't have back then. Yeah, they got to walk with Jesus, but they didn't have air conditioning. So we just have to remember the blessings that we have. God has blessed us greatly. And so let's take the love of God, the blessings of God, and share them with the world around us. Amen?